0: Hello and welcome to the City Business Festival. My name is Kojo Akoto Boating. This is the fourth week of the Business Festival and this week we are looking at trade and related matters. And we'll also be zeroing in on the African Continental Free Trade Area. Now, what is the after? How well do you understand it? And what are the opportunities for businesses in this particular period? Now, a couple of uh, months ago, The After Year Zero Report was published by Afro Champions, and I have Mr. David Ophosudote as my guest today. He is a senior partner at AB David, one of Africa's leading law firms, and he's also a key member of Afro Champions. Now, Afro Champions is a regional private-public partnership designed to galvanize African resources and institutions to help drive Africa's integration. Welcome to the Business Festival, Mr. Ophosudote. Thank you, Goyo. So you are somebody who knows Africa in and out. You understand the business of Africa and the business within Africa. Um, how has this particular period been for you, the COVID nineteen period? And from the um, insights you are getting from the continent, how are we dealing with this?
1: Well, uh, COVID nineteen has not been very kind to Africa, if you ask me. Uh, just like, of course, it has not been kind to any part of the world, but particularly Africa. Uh, I I think from the African perspective, the, the biggest downside of COVID-19 is, it occurred just about the time that Africa was about to start its free trade area, uh, which was slated for July 1st, uh, and then COVID-19 happened. Uh, more importantly, at the time Africa had managed to Climb up in terms of intra-Africa trade all the way to 18%. Uh, many people keep quoting 16% because it was 18% by uh, 2018. And then COVID-19 happened where borders are closed, uh, so restricting movement of people. And to a large extent, goose, uh, it affected the private sector's ability to produce uh, because of lockdowns, et cetera. So I expect that by the end of 2020 intra africa trade will drop even below the 18% that we achieved. So I think it's not been uh, very good for uh, Africa. Uh, But of course, as somebody who advises businesses and somebody who uh, looks at Africa, uh, we spent a lot of time trying to draw attention of politicians, policymakers, regulators, business leaders. To look at the other side and uh, other side of it and take advantage, uh, we haven't succeeded much in that. Uh, I must say. So, uh, but but I mean, the important thing is to keep on going uh, on that uh, because we think that a lot of advantage will have been taken of it, especially from the public policy perspective, which I don't think has been done to the extent we expected. Uh, so, so that is what it is. Yeah. COVID-19 is going to result in a drop in the gains
0: that we've seen the 18 percent gains that we've seen end of this year 2020
1: yes i expect definitely i mean if you have borders closed uh, even when borders were open we had challenges and that's why we had 18 percent as compared to uh, uh europe for example where intra-regional trade in europe is around 60 percent or asia which is around 50 percent also so the, the closure of borders by itself uh, is going to lead to a drop. I haven't monitored the figures, but I think it's obvious from the fact that if people are not trading and in particular businesses are not producing, then they cannot be exporting. So, And I think it's also well established that many economies are going to suffer 40% to 60% uh, drop in their projected GDP. Cumulatively, all this resulting. in, In trade and definitely i think we will go below the 80 percent which is sad actually
0: we've we've been we've been talking about the africa continental free trade area um you're a key voice and a key resource person when it comes to this on the continent but for businesses that have not really paid attention to the after what really is the africa continental free trade area
1: i think I mean, for starters, businesses which have not paid attention to it uh, are doing themselves a great harm. Uh, and they better pay attention to it. Uh, I will not want to redefine after. I will just summarize uh, in about three bullet points how the AU itself sees it. And uh, and then I will add what my perspective is. So if you look at what the AU itself says, uh, or the heads of states in agreeing to this, the intention is to accelerate intra-Africa uh, trade uh, uh, essentially. I mean, and I said we've already hit 18% or we had hit 18% before uh, this COVID. What I want to emphasize about that is that this trade is already growing. Intra-Africa trade is already growing. And, and therefore, the sign of intra-Africa trade is consequential result of trade which has already been growing from as low as 2%. Uh, to the 18% over a period of about 15 years. The second bullet point which I want to draw attention to is that uh, Africa's trade with the rest of the world, aside into Africa trade itself, is very low. Uh, so you have Africa's uh, component of global trade hovering in less than 5%, uh, often estimated at 3%, 3%. Clearly, if you look at the rest of the globe and the growth in economic development across Latin America, Asia in particular, uh, aside the well-established economies of Europe and America, you will find that there is a direct correlation between trade and economic growth. So when we talk about both intra africa trade and Africa's trade with the rest of the world, it is actually meant to engender growth as a whole and economic uh, development. So, So that's the second aspect. The third aspect, which I think will answer a lot of the geopolitical questions that we are often faced with as a continent, uh, and again, when I look at it from a strategy's point of view, is the fact that the CFTA is meant to give Africa one voice when it comes to global trade discussions and also give Africa one voice when it comes to the involvement of, Global trade policies and negotiations. Uh, so, these three, from a public policy perspective, are the most important thing. But from a business perspective, the CFTA itself creates a number of opportunities, being a larger trade market. Uh, 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 I mean, uh, better uh, or, or or free tariffs, uh, 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 exports over a period, etc. And these opportunities which enables us to trade by itself create other opportunities. so for example you cannot trade if transportation is not improved and therefore you will see that it creates the opportunity for infrastructure in transport you cannot manufacture if you don't have power and therefore it creates opportunity for the generation of power you cannot trade if there are tariff and non-tariff barriers and therefore it creates opportunity for and non-tariff uh, barriers to be removed, and and therefore will generate opportunities in digitization, etc. So it, it creates quite a number of opportunities which we can delve into uh, uh, subsequently. But if you if trade, uh, uh, if exporters and businesses who are not even an export see it from that perspective, it then gives them the chance to go back to their drawing board and strategize as to how they may in their individual businesses take advantage of it. So every
0: business in Africa must, as a matter of agency, pay attention to the Africa continental free trade area and engage policymakers and their governments to ensure that this is a reality because it actually creates an opportunity for a lot of growth within the continent.
1: Yeah, The answer is yes. And, uh, I mean, permit me to be a bit... Uh, is it philosophical or give, give a tangential view here? I've seen many, many people who purport to think outside the box, uh, but who then keep telling businesses in these COVID times that uh, other than taking care of the, the life and safety of your employees, of human beings, etc., which we should all be doing, when it comes to the business itself, they keep telling them have business continuity plans. I've actually been heard some on your, your radio. I think this is not the time for business continuity plans. If, if, if you are still doing business continuity plans, then you have a big, very big issue because before COVID, you ought to have had business con- continuity plans. Uh, or even if you didn't have, you ought to have put some in place immediately. I think this is the time for businesses in Africa to be looking at what their CFTA plans are and what their post-COVID transformation plans are Uh, And the COVID offers an opportunity for them to put that plan in place so that when the COVID is over, I mean, for want of a better word, they can actually take advantage of it. Because if the the system changes, you are going to have another uh, very disruptive uh, 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 issue being uh, created by the CFTA, for which many businesses will not be prepared because they are focusing only on business continuity plans of COVID.
0: And, and so so having an after strategy now is essential for businesses going forward in the,
1: in, in the short medium and extremely, even the extremely long- extremely essential i mean that if you understand after you will see that it is an agenda 2063 protocol of the many protocols the EU have signed including silencing the guns uh, free movement etc so uh, after is just one of them And if you have an agenda for a whole continent which is designed to last up to 2063, that's about 43 years from now. And your business planning spectrum is normally five years in strategy cycles or at most 10 years. You you are operating within that uh, uh, subset, within that 43-year spectrum. So if you don't have a a plan for after in your business, uh, you better do that now. It's just like uh, businesses who never evolved let me call it a China strategy. Uh, Of course, depending on the size of your business, but when the whole world shifted the supply chain to China and China's influence grew, many businesses adopted a China strategy. Uh, Similarly, an AFTA strategy is more opposite now than any other strategy if you are located in Africa.
0: Now, AFTA was supposed to begin, the start of trade was supposed to begin in July. And then COVID-19 started. in December, January, globally. And then by March, most African countries were locking down. How is COVID-19 affecting the start of trade? And are we on track to really implement after and get
1: the growth we are looking for? I wish I would answer the part about start of trade. Uh, I mean, I can answer a lot relating to how it's affecting start of trade. uh, uh, I mean, how it's affecting the whole after, but mm-hmm. that's a specific start of trade. I'll come to that, that issue shortly. You will see that, especially beginning March, the operationalization of the after HQ in Accra itself uh, has been affected. Uh, Wemkele, who is supposed to be the Secretary General, uh, to the best of my knowledge, is operating out of Addis Ababa uh, and not Accra. But the, the HQ of the Secretariat is being uh, Uh, put in place. Uh, Yesterday I happened to be in that building and uh, I saw a lot of activity the government of Ghana is putting in place to make sure uh, that it starts so that's fine but at least the the personnel are not in place to the best of my knowledge which was supposed to start from March. I believe the negotiations and some of the protocols and annexes to the CFTA itself slowed down because of inability of negotiators to travel. Uh, My information is that they have resumed negotiations uh, online as i uh, uh i mean through the means uh like the one we are using now and, and i also uh, definitely can see that with businesses being affected by COVID, uh export itself has slowed down so definitely uh that's what how it has affected uh, uh the after as to start afraid as you yourself indicated at the beginning of this interview uh, afro champions uh, which is uh, one side of uh, my life, has pushed for the July 1st uh, to remain as the the start of trade, even if symbolic. And uh, we did publish a a paper regarding why the CFTA must start on July 1st, and we use all the lobby powers that we have to try and influence those we can influence. I'm yet to hear a very official announcement on it, even though... A lot of media publications has come out regarding this postponement, which quotes an interview. I am not so sure whether that is the authentic decision of the heads of state yet. So I will leave it at that. Uh, but having said that, you also made reference to the Year Zero report, uh, in which uh, which we published by uh, which was published by Four Champions, and which I had the privilege of co-authoring alongside uh, Michael Carter, Richard Bigenfe, and others. And you will see in that report. That we actually preface it with an analysis of how COVID 19 could be taken advantage of and how we can still continue with the after uh, and use rather after as a, as, as, as a basis, for example, to consolidate Africa's uh, uh, production of PPEs, of medical equipment, of pharmaceuticals, and use that as a basis to leverage inter Africa trade and value addition. In the pharmaceutical industry, just as an illustration, uh, it, it may interest you to know that the potential for export in pharmaceuticals, as an example, is quite big uh, uh, in, in Africa, and we are talking of about billions uh, uh, of dollars that has a potential uh, to be made, which we currently import from all kinds of places. and I think. Ghana may be set a right example with the production of PPEs uh, in the country. And many African countries try to do that just because, of course, supply chains chains were were blocked. But if this could be explored further and consolidated, we are talking about ramping up our production and the ability to make uh, money from the healthcare sector alone. By 2030, it's estimated at $259 billion worth of money that can be made from the health sector. And in my view, COVID-19, and and these are certified data, COVID-19 has even given us an opportunity to take much advantage of, I would think, players in the health and pharmaceutical industry to put enough pressure on their various governments, one, and two, work together as a collective on the continent to try and see how we can domesticate a lot of these things. And not only promoting driver guard trade, but let businesses make money. Wow. So if if we look at
0: things properly, we are going to consolidate local production. We are going to ensure that we meet our own demand. We supply enough to meet demand here and also help businesses to make
1: money. You, I, I mean, not to interrupt you, goes beyond that. Just for us, just let me just give you a, some few figures and that, that, that may give you food for thought. The current annual import bill for food in Africa is $35 billion per annum. And this is projected by certified research to grow up to $110 billion by 2025. So it's more than quadruple, it's almost quadrupling. Now, why is this so? It's because of the growth in cities in Africa. Africa has some of the fastest growing cities. I mean, in the rest of the world, about seven megacities are projected to, uh, 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 I mean, I, I mean, has come up in Africa by 2030. But if we even segregate the urban food bill alone, the projected growth by 2030 for the urban market alone is 150 billion by 2030. So I'm talking about moving from 35 billion. 210 billion in 2025 to 150 billion in 2030. What does that mean? That means that for food exports, it means there are backward linkages to the agri sector. It means there are integrated vertical linkages to food processing and export across Africa. And when you talk about these things, at times people think you are talking about big business. No. Cashew, fair butter, uh, uh, which somebody is packaging now, Kobe. These are real things that people consume across the continent. And these are the ways that we can integrate it into the SMEs, into the individual producers and bring in aggregators and then take advantage of a 1.27 billion people market. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about ordinary people.
0: <clears throat> so there's no doubt about the importance of after to our well-being as a continent, but how should governments approach it now? In this era of COVID, you know, um, there was a bit of attention to after, before COVID. There was, there was this buzz when the announcement was made that Ghana was going to uh, host the secretariat. Um, there was the feel good factor about after. And then COVID came and all attention turned to COVID and health. Now, within this particular period, whilst we deal with COVID 19 and related matters, how should governments approach? after now, how should businesses approach it now to ensure that we get this done in the shortest possible time with or without COVID to get the advantages
1: that it offers? I think what government should do is to simply stick to the course. I think government is, or has been on the right course for uh, all the way from 2011, when this whole after uh, 10, kind of started gaining impetus to 2018, uh, launched in 2019 uh, to the Secretariat coming to Ghana, et cetera. So, so the course should be stayed. But in particular, we should move from the course to involving businesses to do more. And on the other side, the businesses should also be more proactive, come together as industries and sectors to do more. And, and some examples will do. If you take cocoa. Uh, Ghana and d'Ivoire, we all know, control about 70% of the production capacity of cocoa. But you track, and, and currently, just as by the way, I'm part of uh, an exercise uh, that we are doing for one of the major African DFIs, which is looking at, among other things, mapping how intra-African exports uh, move. And you find out that cocoa, for example, move extra-Africa, not intra-Africa. If you have a continent. You control seventy percent of a commodity, and that commodity is traded with Europe, China, America, but not within the continent. Uh, it, clearly, what it means is that it's resulted in a situation where the value addition occurs outside the continent and not within the continent. So yes, Ghana, as an example, could be making one point eight billion dollars per annum in terms of cocoa bond rounds every year, and that may show up our dollar uh, to CD exchange rate, every every cocoa uh, uh, production or sales cycle. And to keep cocoa board as a very relevant entity for a while. But what if we actually round out the production cycle and looked at export of cocoa across the continent? Uh, the consumers of chocolate are not located only in Europe and in the metropolis of uh, U.S., also in Africa. So it also helps you build your industries, the, the, the manufacturing, they pay taxes, et cetera. Similar argument can be made for shea butter. For coffee, especially in East Africa, Ghana also produces coffee. So we are constantly exporting these raw products and killing our manufacturing base. And at the end of the day, we end up importing the manufactured products. Just one illustration may help. When some of us were quite young, in the Ashanti region, if they say, and I have to speak to you here, the, uh, it actually means you are poor. And the person who has cocoa was assumed to be rich because each ton of cocoa, in, on average, a sack of cocoa, was equivalent to the price of a car. And in those days, uh, that car was referring to the VW Beetle. V- Today, you need to sell maybe 20 or more tons of that to be able to afford that. What has happened over the period is that the manufacturing has gained, whereas the that price is- of the raw product has remained the same. Yeah or essentially shrunk in comparison to the manufacturing. So this time, wo cocoa doesn't really mean you have money unless you have really, really very large, large, I mean, uh, farms of cocoa. So and this is how we ought to be rethinking.
0: And, and from this yes, you were, you were uh, coming, example, yeah? from this example and analogy, if we do after rights and if we ramped up local production and um, value addition here, we will go back to the old days where wokoko meant you have wealth.
1: Yeah, and, and and the ordinary man will have real wealth, and then uh, this—that's the only way. When you say you are doing poverty reduction, it actually meant it makes sense. I mean, we all talk about China having moved up 400 people from the poverty line and moved them to the middle class and, and to the—I mean—to the wealthy class. I mean, why don't we do that? And and China did that. Yeah, 400 million people, yeah. 400 million people in a speed of about 25 years have been moved from, that's about, uh, how many? is about 11 times or more the size of the population of Ghana. So you can imagine 11 times the entire country being moved across the poverty line to the middle class uh, and, and to the wealthy, and, and, and to the wealthy class, want of a better way. That's what we can do. You, mm-hmm. you may recall... That aside the year zero report, uh, we also published, and I say we as Afro-Champions also published something called the Private Sector Trillion Dollar Framework. If you look at that framework, you will find that it shows all the linkages regarding how you can create the backward linkages all the way to the money in the street if you were to take advantage of the CFTA. And and those who make uh, the effort to take early advantage are going to be the ones who can optimize the advantage anyway.
0: That was where I was actually going to come to how we can um take advantage of um after for the man on the streets. And in this particular um interview, the man on the streets I refer to SMEs. Because usually when we talk about some of these things, we think about big business. But where does um or where do SMEs stand to gain and how should they prepare for
1: after? I mean I have never uh, ceased to take the opportunity to emphasize that after is not for big business. It is actually for the man in the street and for poverty eradication if we get it right. So if you take cashew as an example, the planting is done by outgrowers. And there are people who, who consolidate this. And the same thing will go for palm kernel or even shea butter, which is essentially not cultivated, but grows largely in the world and people collect these things. These outgrowers bring it together to people who are buying and there are people who are consolidating. I mean, take cocoa. Cocoa board, which sells our cocoa, is technically not a farmer. Uh-huh. They are individual farmers who are the ones who belong to the wood cocoa, example I gave. And it is aggregated. So to to bring the money in the street as well as the SME in, this is the time to grow aggregators and consolidators of all these goods. This is the time to introduce cocoa board type, quote and unquote, of entities that check quality and make sure that we can export the bulk. Because as individuals, these uh, 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 outgrowers, SMEs, the money in the street find it difficult to be able to meet export orders. Because in, importers from outside the, the country or outside the continent are looking for. If you take the clothing market as an example, the amount of people who are estimated to need clothing in Africa by 2030 is 1.6 billion. This is estimating only a certain percentage of our, uh, 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 our uh, uh, population by then. Now, if you take that and you look at the fact that it leads to a situation where business to business linkages, where even because you buy clothes from certain country, it may attract your attention to the other country and may lead to tourism. You can see that the ordinary man who runs a hotel, a small hotel in the corner, or the ordinary tailor uh, uh, on the street of Mambobi or Nima or, or the Osu who sews uh, African clothes and who wait until uh, somebody from Europe come on tour and walk through and buy one of those kente clothes, the fortune will change because we can then begin to tell people that the authentic kente is the one that comes from Ghana, uh, which maybe the person is putting as a stole around his neck because he's a Democrat trying to exhibit uh, his sympathy with George Floyd's death. Uh, but the linkage to Ghana uh, is missing, and therefore, the ordinary store maker of Kente is not benefiting from that particular publicity. Mm-hmm. That's how we have to be thinking, and, and, and that way, people will be packaging things in such a way that they, it is exportable. Or when tourism improves, intra Africa tourism improves, it is consumed when foreigners come here because they have been really marketed. That's how we have to think about it we shouldn't think about it for just big business because if we do what would then happen is that big multinationals will be the ones who will be benefiting and the real benefit of AFTA will be lost because they would then be shipping it out we will need more dollars to go back and import it and we will then also have the capital flight you want to avoid this is the city business festival i'm talking to david of osu he's a senior
0: partner at ab and david and He's also a member of Afro Champions, and we are talking about the Africa continental free trade area, what to understand, and what it means for Africa, and how you should approach it going forward so that you ready yourself to um, um, take advantage of the opportunities it offers. Now, um, David, you just mentioned that we should Prepare after and SMEs should be the main beneficiaries. We should not make it a platform for big corporate entities, especially those that are not authentically Africa to, to, to use to grow. And you mentioned capital flights. Now, whilst we, 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 we should work hard to prevent capital flight, how do we also approach financing um, of African businesses as, and, and financing of the growth that we are looking forward to have as we go forward?
1: Well, the the challenges that uh, are faced by traders includes export credits and export financing among many uh, of the problems. Uh, of course, trade disputes is also part. You will see that after has addressed the, the trade disputes by creating a trade dispute settlement mechanism. I mean, uh, we, we don't have to go into that now, but financing uh, is one of the quote-unquote outstanding issues. But there is finance on the continent, and, and if you take, for example, agriculture, you'll find that African Development Bank, as an example, has for many years had as one of its high fives, feeding the people, and feeding the people looks at financing agriculture and also financing agro-processing, And with after coming into force, it gives much bigger uh, opportunity for you to take advantage of both the financing opportunities as well as uh, the advantage of the marketing. Afreexm is even having greater opportunities in terms of uh, ability to uh, uh, do financing uh, of such related export products. And if you go to most countries, and Ghana is a very good example, where Ghana Export uh, Import Bank uh, uh, has facilities, and I believe much as they may not have a lot of cash to uh, give out like uh, the likes of AFDB or AFREXM, I do believe that they are constantly exploring such opportunities uh, to be able to improve finance. I also think that for banks, for the ordinary banks, what they normally would look at is the market. When a bank says, I'm assessing your business, uh, um, uh, business proposal, business or your feasibility report, or I send my project appraiser appraiser team to look at your business. They are looking at whether or not you can pay the money back. Mm -hmm. And the only way they arrive at whether you can pay the money back is when they see that there is a market for you to sell the goods to, and that the market is available and able to buy. So if you match market with production, clearly you you can achieve a lot. And at times, the market is even consciously created. Again, I believe that belongs to another discussion we can have. So, so as an example, currently, the banking market for SMEs alone is estimated at about $86 billion per uh, annum if we decided that we wanted to just explore the opportunities for the SMEs alone. Whereas the uh, amount of money that is held by Africa central banks collectively Is over four hundred billion dollars on on the continent. Mm -hmm. A consolidated and concerted effort to work together can create the likes of financing opportunities, which would enable money revolve around the continent and finance trade, give opportunities to SMEs in a well-coordinated manner between each individual country's export, import banks, etc., to finance this trade. So, so it is doable. And and again. Let's look at what most of our leaders do. They go to China, and we take money from China Exim Bank or China CDB, etc. China Exim Bank, and I've taken the opportunity to study the history of China Exim Bank, started just like the way Ghana Exim Bank has started. That's exactly what it was some 30 years ago. And today, it's able to finance exports in many African countries, and, and it's able to then make China a global player becomes the second largest economy in the world. And when COVID happened, we all saw that the fact that it started from China was enough to cut supplies to a lot of countries in the world because China, China's factory closed down. That's what one country is able to do. How much more if collectively you have 55 countries coming together and decided that they wanted to improve their trade, have one voice in negotiations, et And 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 just before anybody thinks that, uh, I'm just giving Ethiopian ideas. If you put Africa's economy together, our purchase power parity makes us the eighth largest economy in the world. But as individual countries, we remain very insignificant. And every now and then, we can only be invited to a G20 meeting, uh, drink champagne and clap for our heads of states and come back home and, and, and remain poor.
0: This is this is really insightful. And and to wrap up, I'd, I'd, I'd like, your permission to read portions of the after year zero reports on how to salvage and keep after on track amidst COVID-19 disruptions and from the conversation we've had after negotiations should continue via online and video conferencing platforms we should not slow down if uh, the july 2020 date for start of after trading should not be postponed which you mentioned earlier um we should also, ensure that the secretariat, which is temporarily operating out of Addis Ababa, should continue with its self recruitment and operationalize a fully functional virtual office. The African Union should convene a major virtual meeting of African trade ministers to deliberate on which to keep the after on track. African Union should request ministers of trade to present COVID 19 impact reports on their proposed after plans and each member state uh, that have the member states that have ratified should be made to present a COVID-19 adjusted plan. And you also um, mentioned in the report that guidelines and financing for a continental private sector and jobs recovery plan should be jointly coordinated. If we did these things, plus some of uh, your other uh, recommendations, where do you see Africa in 10 years?
1: Oh, I mean, again, I think perhaps that question is clearly answered by the other document I referred you to. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of which the ISO report actually uh, mandated. The, the original document is what we call the the private sector trillion dollar framework, which is uh, coincidentally, or I should say fortunately, has become an official document uh, of the AU. Uh, Afro champions authored it. Uh, I was privileged to be one of the authors, uh, but it's become adopted by the heads of states at the February summit uh, in Addis Ababa. So it's actually part of the resolutions that. Uh, the AU passed. Now, that document actually sees Africa's vision as part of the agenda 2063, which is the vision of our heads of states, yeah. but brings a private sector vision part of it and say, we in private sector want to look at only 2030. And by 2030, assigned what the heads of states have envisioned, we want to galvanize a minimum of $1 trillion investments on the continent around the CFTA. From SMEs to individuals, all the way to the ultimate goal of creating African multinationals, which can compete with any other entity, I mean, the rest of the world. And and, and maybe to leave you with one example, in 1945, after the First World, Second World War, Europe and Japan were not any better than where Africa is today. It is straight. That created the likes of Toyota, Mitsubishi, Isuzu, and created the big giants out of Japan and all the big conglomerates like Siemens from uh, Germany, uh, AstraZeneca, and all those big companies that come from Europe and here. Why is anything different? Why can't Africa do it? So we can do it if the public sector remains focused and have after strategy, and if the private sector collectively as industry each develops and after strategy and focus on delivering it. This has been an insightful conversation, Mr. David Oposudote. It's been great talking to you
0: on the City Business Festival. Mr. David Oposudote is a senior partner at ABN David, um, one of Africa's leading law firms. He's also um, a key member of Afro Champions, a group of private and public sector um, entities and individuals pushing for the implementation of AFTA and pushing for a better Africa. He shared his thoughts on the African continental free trade area, opportunities for Africa, opportunities for your business, and why and how we can all get it uh, to be implemented so that we benefit from the after. My name is Kojo Akotobuating. This has been the City Business Festival.